Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of One Step Beyond. This is a podcast about transformation through leadership. On our show, we have conversations with people who are creating change in business, in their community, and in their lives by choosing to lead. This is about daring to overcome barriers, push past limitations, and reshape our present and our future. Right now, we're in this third wave of COVID, and different parts of Canada are being affected in different ways. So in Alberta, they just announced some bigger restrictions and a lot of personal services are being shut down again. You know, as a small business owner myself, I, you know, I'm not out here questioning the government. Like I couldn't imagine what it's like to be trying to like manage this from a government perspective and a health perspective. So, I mean, I could only imagine how stressful that is and what it must be like to have people second guessing you. My thinking is partially for them. And as a small business owner, it's for the small businesses. Like, uh, you know, my heart's with you. And I got to encourage everyone who's listening that not just now, but for the next six months or the next year, this is a time to invest in those small businesses. Buy a gift certificate, you know, leave a bigger tip, eat out a little bit more. These people put their hearts and souls into their businesses. They put their lives on the line to make it happen. So we can help them out if we can help them out. And if you got a little extra, then give a little extra. With that, I am speaking with someone who runs a small business that has been uh, impacted by this and that's still carrying on. Uh, someone who's a personal inspiration to me and one of my oldest friends, Scott Veldone. Scott has been tattooing in Calgary, Alberta for over 20 years and grew up in the undercurrent of an incredibly conservative city. He's a business owner, father, and has seen tattooing rise to what is today and has been part of a culture shift. Scott is someone that I have seen build up his business over the years. And actually, he might have been the first person I knew who actually had his own business. We were like basically kids when he um, started tattooing, but also when Eternal Image really became his business. It's a very, very cool story. And I took a lot away from our conversation. So before we get to our episode, I want to thank our sponsors, SE Electronics. And if you haven't yet, then please rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast. So let's get to the episode. I'm your host, Aram Arslanian, and this is One Step Beyond. everyone and welcome back to the show you know as i said in the intro uh, i grew up in calgary and it's an interesting place because it's both culturally rich but you have to kind of seek out that culture and um, especially when i was young before there was the internet you know to get into something you had to like find it and once you found it it felt like it was yours and you know and then you, you meet the people that are a part of that culture and they become more than friends. They become like family. So that's uh, the case here with Scott Veldone. You know, Scott and I have known each other for many, many years. I've been very close friends for a long time. He is a really interesting person as uh, just a great friend, but also an incredible artist and professional. So Scott, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me around. I am real interested in how you found out about tattoo culture. So what was your first exposure to it in more of than just like something you'd see on TV? Oh, that's a good question. Cause, uh, none of my family had tattoos. 
like I honestly I didn't know anybody with tattoos when I grew up which you know nowadays it seems like everybody you know it's weirder to see somebody without a tattoo than with a tattoo originally I remember seeing um probably the first people I saw who were heavily tattooed and you know by today's standards they weren't heavily tattooed or anything like that but you know back then they looked covered but uh Henry Rollins was one of them and then uh, a skateboarder named Jason Jesse and also there was uh the Godoy brothers but their tattoos weren't you know they just did each other's tattoos so like you know like they weren't great tattoos but uh Jason Jesse's tattoos were really good and then Henry Rollins tattoos were like they were like next level, like, cause they were solid and very clean and stuff. And, you know, like I hadn't seen stuff like that before. Everything I'd seen before that was just scratched on people. So were you interested in tattoos or is it just like, wow, that's neat? I think it was more just like, wow, that's neat at first, but it kind of, you know, it kind of just struck a chord with me. You know, I was like, you know, like I probably need some of those at some point. So I, maybe that's like everybody's introduction, but yeah, like uh saw them and I was just uh, very intrigued about them and kind of wanted them had no access or nobody to talk to about them at all, you know? So, I mean, what year was your first tattoo? Oh, that's a good question. I, you know, I'm horrible with time and you know, everything feels like it was five years ago. Right. You know, even <laughs> it, if it happened last week, it was five years ago. You know, if it happened 25 years ago, it was five years ago, kind of, but it must've been like 94, 95, maybe 96. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. 95 or 96 basically just turned 18. And went and got tattooed. I had plans on getting tattooed before that, but it was kind of just right when I turned 18. So whenever that was. So how did you even know how to pick someone or were you just like, whatever, just go and pick someone? Actually, that's an amazing question. Cause like, I have a good answer for that one. Most, most things I won't have good answers for, but this one, I have a good answer. I remember distinctly, there was a guy on my bus who had a bunch of shitty tattoos <laughs> Like ones that he did. And like I rode the number three. I'd ride it downtown all the time just to go skateboarding. Yeah, he had all these crappy tattoos. And because he was, I guess, you know, a little bit different, you know, we talked. And uh, I remember talking to him and I remember looking at all these tattoos that he did on themselves and they're horrible. And I was thinking if tattoos have to look like that, like I don't want any of them. Because <laughs> like basically it looked like he just kind of like, you know, like took a pen and just scratched on his arms and like... I was just like, why would you do that to yourself? But I remember him saying, he was like, yeah, on my birthday, I'm going to Smiling Buddha to get a tattoo. So like, you know, I want this one to be a good one. I'm going to Smiling Buddha. So, you know, that kind of stuck in my head a little bit. Fast forward, maybe a year or so later, I'm skating at, uh, well, what would be the old courthouse downtown. And uh, there's kind of just a group of us that would just hang out there and skate. And there was um, the C train station, which is the light rail transit in Calgary uh, station right there. And I remember seeing a guy who like, was covered in tattoos and he looked a little bit younger. So I was like, I just went and creeped up on him, you know, and kind of stood about 20 feet away, just trying to kind of see what was going on there. And then eventually I just kind of was I just had to go and ask him who did those tattoos and can I check those out? And uh, it was Paul Jeffries from Smiling Buddha that did the tattoos. He had a tattoo of Neptune on him. That tattoo had tattoos on it. That like literally blew my mind at that point. Like I was just like, I can't believe, I've never seen anything like this. And they're, you know, bright and solid and just look great. He told me, he's like, do yourself a favor, go to Smiling Buddha. 
So I'm like, I'm going to Smiling Buddha. <laughs> so I just, you know, I'm making this an advertisement for Smiling Buddha at the time anyways. But I remember going up there and now this, this is where the advertisement goes bad. I remember going up there a little before I turned 18, like wanting to book an appointment with the tattoo that I had. And I went in there. At the time, the person that was working the counter, I'm not going to name any names, but that person kind of had a bit of a reputation for just not being exactly personable to people, let's say. Yeah, had a look at what I wanted and, you know, got one of the artists to come up and obviously they didn't get along that well. And the artist looked at it, you know, told me the price, threw it back down on the counter and walked away. And uh, the person was just like, you're going to get it or what? And I was just like, uh, I got to think about it. Grabbed my drawing, you know, walked out, walked down the hill. And as I was walking down the hill, like the price for that tattoo was the price for my rent for a month. And I was just like, I don't know if I can give you a month's rent if you're going to treat me like that. Like, I don't know what to do now. So I, I remember getting home like into my crappy apartment and just uh, just thinking about it for a bit. And a friend of mine had got a tattoo. So I asked him, he was like, I heard about this guy in Calgary, like this other guy in Ed, on Edmonton Trail, this guy, Vic. I've never been tattooed by him, but I've seen a couple and they looked all right. So I phoned there, um, you know, a couple of weeks later after I turned 18 and uh, just wanted to go check it out. So I went down there and checked it out. And uh, that's where I ended up getting my tattoo, which is, you know, another crazy story too. But From starting to get tattooed to actually getting into tattooing, what was that transition like? Well, the first time I got tattooed, the guy who did my tattoo, because I brought the drawing in, um, I guess he, he was interested if I could draw, I guess, because, you know, his kind of MO was he would teach people had a tattoo and you know basically you do a bunch of drawings for him because he wasn't really good at drawing you would end up doing all these drawings for him and he would teach you how to tattoo or you know whatever he was going to do so during the tattoo he offered to teach me how to tattoo and at that point like i thought it was something you just did between prison terms like it i you know this is my first tattoo i have no clue about tattooing honestly i didn't even think that i was paying money for a tattoo like i knew i was but i didn't think he made money doing tattoos. So by the end of that, I, you know, I told him no, didn't think about it again until I wanted another tattoo. And then that's kind of when it started the ball, ball rolling, I guess, for me, you know, thinking about like, oh, I could do this as a career. But as that happened, you know, tattooing was starting to kind of get a little, I guess, a little more popular, like not really popular, like as, as you know, like it's still pretty underground at that time. You know, there's more than one tattoo magazine out now. You know, there's probably three. I got a funny story about buying those two. I guess because of thinking about doing it for a living, I got more into it and started drawing more and became more immersed in it. All right. So you start tattooing. I want to know about the, the transition from tattooing to owning eternal image. Because what I found fa find fascinating about you is like out of anyone I know, you were the youngest business owner I knew. You literally like owned, owned a business when we were very young. So t like, tell me about that transition. So you start tattooing, you're doing this stuff, suddenly you're a business owner, but you're not just a business owner. You own a tattoo shop downtown. Like that's a wild journey. So how did that happen? I don't want to say I fell into it because, you know, like lots of people are like, oh, I just fell into this. But when I started tattooing, I apprenticed, the guy who taught me how to tattoo opened up a shop with his dad. His dad was not a tattooer. His dad was the business guy, you know, so put up the money. 
ran the business so his son could tattoo so he could spend time with his son, you know, which is pretty cool. And I, I thought pretty admirable, like that was pretty cool. I wouldn't have seen my dad doing that at the time, you know, especially with tattooing, you know, like in his dad was an engineer, like an oil engineer. So like a total shift. But I started apprenticing and because the tattooer that taught me had gotten another job somewhere else, it was a quick apprenticeship and then he left. So his dad, Keith, who owned the shop, was left without a tattooer. He was basically left with me. At that point, you know, like he realized he basically had was going to lose all his money if I didn't start tattooing. So he asked me what I wanted to do. And I told him that I didn't want to like, I didn't want him to lose his money, you know, like I, he, he took a big gamble on me. So at that point, we became partners, just so like, you know, like I could make money for the shop, he could run the shop. And because of that, I'd like to say it was like a soft entry into being a business owner. Because like he, you know, he was able to guide me to a certain extent, and uh, help me along with that. And over the next few years, he slowly got more out of the actual business side. Luckily, like I had that and I still had him to ask if I had questions or whatever. Yes, I was young and but I had like almost like a soft entry into it. You know, if I didn't pull through, I wouldn't have had a business like the whole thing just would have failed. So what age were you when it became 100% your ownership? Maybe, maybe mid to late 20s. Yeah, like I said, I'm horrible with like time and dates. Like I said, you know, it feels like it still feels like it was five years ago, but I know it was more than that. <laughs> well, it's such a wild thing because like for the audience, when Scott and I met, tattoos were still relatively outsider, but not that outsider. Like they had started to get more popular. So I got tattooed, I think the first time in 1996. Uh, and then that was, I got that done in Vancouver. And then my next tattoo was with Scott in, in Calgary in like maybe 97. Tattoos really seemed to start blowing up around the 2000s, like early 2000s, when it started getting really, really big. But leading up to that, so you're like this young business owner. Correct me if I'm wrong. You didn't go to college or anything, right? No, I barely made it through high school. Okay. So before becoming like actually committing to working as a tattoo artist, what were you doing? Well, I worked some odd jobs. Like I worked at a gas station for a while, worked at Walmart for a little while. Those are, I guess, kind of the major ones, you know, like I did, I just did like little things before that anyways, you know, just to kind of scrounge up money. But like what I was doing right before I started tattooing was, um, I was working, um, a night shift stocking shelves and fixing things at Walmart. So for you, you're a young person. So now you've got this career path, unexpected career path. It was a opportunity that was put in front of you. And it takes a lot of guts to take that leap. You know, a lot of people wouldn't have taken that leap. What got you to say, you know what, I'm going to, because again, it was before tattoos were a big, big deal. It was still a relatively risky thing in a really small subculture. What got you to take the leap and say, you know what, I'm going to do this for a living? Well, honestly, I just, I hit a point in my life, which I remember, I remember the night still like vividly. When I worked at Walmart, you were locked in the store overnight because you work a graveyard shift. You had a mandatory one hour lunch break and two 15 minute, like just breaks. Everybody had to take the break at the same time. You had to take it in the break room. And I would just draw the whole time because, you know, I eat fairly quickly. I've tried to slow down kind of over like the last few years, but like I used to eat my lunch in two, three minutes, you know, like I was ready to go. So I had all this time to like just draw or whatever I was going to do, but mostly I would draw. I remember starting, you know, like another page in my sketchbook and just listening to the conversation that was going around. It's kind of a time in my life that like, 
it's just very lonely and just kind of, I don't want to say hit one of those rock bottom moments, but you know, like you hit kind of one of those moments where you're just like, Oh, like I can't be here anymore. I got to move. Otherwise I'm stuck. And that was totally it. I was just listening to everybody's conversations and, you know, realizing that these people who are, you know, some of them were 20 years older than I was. Some of them were 40 years older than I was at the time. They were living the, the exact same lifestyle I was living. Hourly, I was making a little more than some of them. I just looked around and I'm like, wow, you know, like this could be me. And I don't want this to be me. So I'm like, I got to make something happen. So this is this is before I got an apprenticeship anyways. You know, I was thinking about bringing my stuff around and trying to get an apprenticeship. But I made a mental list of things that I could do. The things that I could do, number one dream job would be tattooing. I was super into tattoos at the time. Number two, anything in carpentry or the trades or something like that. You know, like an electrician, I was a little scared of the math. But, you know, I could probably make that work. A plumber, I could probably make that work. Cabinet maker or general construction. For some reason, I've always had an aptitude for that kind of stuff. I could see myself doing those things. The dream job and creatively was tattooing. So I tried to make that happen the best that I could. Went around to a bunch of shops or the shops that were in Calgary. Basically, you know, I got told to get lost, you know, <laughs> which is fair. Yeah, totally. And because of that, you know, it, it kind of made my resolve a little harder. You know, I was like, you know what? I'm just going to keep trying until I don't have that option anymore. So eventually I got somebody gave me a little tip on like drawing and whatnot. So I was like, oh, that's great. So anyways, that was the spark I needed for it. So I just followed up into it. And like I said, a lot of it was just because I couldn't see myself just being, I don't want to say just being stuck in that one of those kind of jobs, but I wouldn't be satisfied if I was just doing that. You know, maybe in in yours or my, I guess, you know, like brains or something like that, you can fantasize about having a job where all you have to do is just show up for eight hours. You know, like, that'd be great. Like, you know, it'd be nice not to take anything home. It'd be nice not to have to worry about a business. It'd be nice not to have to do any of that kind of stuff. But when you actually take that away, which, you know, because of, I guess, how the pandemic has been, you know, you actually do take that away. And you're just like, wait a second, you know, I need that stuff to thrive. Early on, I kind of realized that I need that pressure and I need something like that to thrive in life. All right. So you were, like I said earlier, a business owner from a very young age. Like, man, we were like essentially kids. I remember being in college and you had like adult responsibilities and I'm like, oh, I got to get my term paper in. Like it's it was it's crazy for me to look back and think about that. A question for you is what's been good for you as as a person, as a business person from having had a business from such a young age, but also what's been not good for you? Like, what are the things that you're like, damn, yeah, that was really great for me if, for who I am today. But what hasn't been great for you as well? I guess, you know, like there's that whole kind of like, I guess when you're young, you have the luxury of messing up. Basically, when I became a business owner, I kind of that was kind of taken away from me. You know, like I suppose I could have messed up. I could have failed. The business could have failed and I could have opened up again. But to me, I had no no idea how to do that again. You know, I was just like, how am I going to get the money to pay for this again? How would I do this? How would I do that? I just have to make this work. In some ways, that kind of took my youth away. In other ways, it kept me kind of on a different path than most and trajectory than most of the people that I was around were, you know, like um, this came up just the other day too. somebody that I was friends with, you know, I was talking to a client who I hadn't tattooed in 20 years. 
you know, he he knows that this guy's alive, but I didn't even know if this guy was alive or dead anymore. The last time I heard about this guy or talked to this guy, he was professionally gambling. And, you know, like there, there's nothing wrong with that. But at the same time, that's who I was around at that time in my life. You know, people were just going to the bar, getting destroyed, living like it didn't really matter, you know, which is great in some ways. But in other ways, it, it wasn't for me. So like the fact that I had a business kind of solidified the fact that I had to be this, you know, like it's just so like, that's good. So it gave you a North Star, but it kind of took your youth away at the same time. Yeah. You, you know, like with everything, you got to sacrifice things, right? So. But it also, okay. So again, just for audience understanding, like at that point, owning a tattoo shop was not a young person's game. Like people who tattoo shops were like old school tattooers. So it seems like, like, was, what was your peer group like at that point? Were, was there anyone your age on the playing field? Nah, not really. There's like the weird thing is there's the guy that taught me at the time he he had gotten a job at Smiling Buddha. Everybody was a little older than me. So like maybe that's kind of fueled like, you know, my whole the feeling of trying to catch up to everybody constantly. You know, like it started off there because everybody was older than me. They were better than me. I didn't really have a peer group, you know, like everybody in tattooing was that older, I don't want to say older generation, because you know, the, the guy that taught me is a few years older than I am. My friend Dustin was a few years older than I was. And there was younger guys getting into tattooing at the time, but the community was so small. They were all in other cities. It was all over the place. So like, you know, there was younger guys in Vancouver, younger guys in Toronto, younger guys in Montreal, pretty much any city, you know, there was going to be a few younger people in it. But because Canada is so far apart, you don't really get to know your peer group until, you know, you start going other places or, you know, like nowadays, the Internet, social media, you, you know, like you can have a million friends, you know, you know, everybody it doesn't matter. But back then, like it was like it was very isolating that way. All right. So early 2000s, tattooing starts becoming really big. Internet comes, tattooing blows up. It's a huge thing now. I remember you and I talking through those times and like talking about the cringy things that shops were doing and like the like weird, like just the weird stuff in the culture. Somehow, though, eternal image skirts all of it and just stays consistently consistent, like just a consistent shop, consistent uh, quality coming through. And not to make this a, a commercial for you, but one of the things as a business person, like I know the shop has had ups and downs, but you've had a really long standing shop that you've been able to support your family on. And it's like really very, very well respected. So during that whole time, like how did you resist the trends and getting swept up with all this, like almost like tattoo celebrity and tattoo hype and just stick to what you really believe in? How did you resist that? No, oh, first of all, thanks for saying that. That's a huge compliment. <laughs> for the most part, I think staying away from that stuff was fairly easy for me because I don't want to get caught up. Like I never wanted to get caught up in what everybody else was doing or the gossip or like, I don't want to say negativity, but like, there's a lot of negativity in, in pretty much everything, you know, and, you know, jealousy and envy and all that kind of stuff. And I just wanted to stay away from it because it's easy to kind of get caught up and swept away with it as well, especially in something that's so ego driven because it, it's art. And I would say as tattooers or tattooists or tattoo artists, however you want to say it, we all have fairly fra big and fragile egos. You know, we all need to, you know, people are constantly telling you you're great, even if you're not great. And I've never wanted to believe that, you know, like it's just I'm I'm far from normal, but I'm a pretty normal human being in a lot of ways. You know, like I, I, 
I'm not exceptional. I'm not going to do anything that's, I'm not going to be the game changer. You know, I've realized that early on. I'm not going to be a catalyst to anything. You know, if I am, it's going to be in small ways. I would rather just kind of keep my head into what I'm doing. You know, look at the good things, but not get caught up and, you know, I guess swayed by trends or swayed by what this guy's doing or what this shop is doing or, you know, like, what this person has done with their business or whatever, or grown it or, you know, succumb to, you know, the economy or whatever. So that's kind of more where I've always been, you know, just, I don't want to say kept to myself, but I I do like, I'm, I keep to myself a lot of ways. I usually find out about stuff like years after I'm just like, when did that happen? <laughs> okay. Because you're juggling a few balls. You're both the artist and, and I agree with you, like being, being guys who played music for a long time, people from artistic pursuits have huge egos that are really fragile. And, and you know, I've, I've been someone who suffered from that. And so I go in and out of suffering from that in my life, depending on what I'm doing. But you're juggling that ball of being the artist, but you're also the business owner and you're also the boss. So like, how have you been able to manage those things and just like be happy in life and be okay? Some of it's just been surrounding myself with the right people. I've obviously had to fire a few people over the years, you know, um, dealing with people, there's always going to be problems. I've always been able to handle the bills on my own. You know, if you know you have yourself taken care of, you have the luxury of bringing who you want in. So like with any business, of course you want to grow. And of course, you know, you'd like it to be easier for yourself like later on. But I've never relied on anybody to pay my bills, which, you know, like is a good thing because I've been able to, like I said, choose who I want to work with. I'm not hiring somebody just because I need to fill that chair. I'm hiring somebody because, you know, I'm going to get along with them and they're not going to cause me that many problems. So that I think business-wise has helped me out a lot. Juggling a business, uh, I was smart enough to have an accountant, you know, and know my limitations on things. Mathematically and business-wise, I'm not really that driven, you know. So I have somebody that will let me know when I'm doing well. You know, obviously I can, at this point, you know, I can tell when I'm, when I'm doing well or when I'm like, you know, doing poorly and I, you know, like I have to kind of cut back things, but I'm also the kind of person that, you know, if I need to sacrifice certain things, I sacrifice certain things. I'm pretty good at compromising things. So having known you for a long time and we've been with each other through a lot of ups and downs, we've seen good stuff, bad stuff, you know, all the things. Something I've noticed is a marked shift in you in the past few years. You're way more vulnerable now to a bigger audience than you ever have been. You would tell me things. And even when you would tell me things, you I'd almost feel like you'd kind of couch them a little bit. But it seems like you have gotten way more comfortable with telling people what's really going on for you from a personal perspective, how you feel about things and, and some of your struggles. Um, so what shifted for you? I think maybe I... Me being vulnerable, um, I'm not seeing as a weakness anymore. Opening up has helped me, you know, get through some of the things or, you know, I guess maybe just file things away properly instead of, you know, just pushing it down inside or rethinking it again, you know, like months later on, like down the road, you know, and never really kind of just getting past the problem or even getting into the problem. So if I can share that and that can help somebody else be like, oh, wait a second, you know, like maybe if I talk about this or maybe if I just acknowledge this or whatever it is, you know, I can feel better about it or move past this or, you know, get through this hard point in my life. You know, I don't I don't mind sharing that. You know, I, I don't think it makes me look bad. I don't think I'm, I'm not really worried so much about what people think anyway. So 
Well, it's an interesting thing, man, because it's such a marked shift. And, and you know, certainly never have I, you ever come across like a, like a tough guy or anything like that, but more so like still waters run deep. I've noticed a big shift in you, very specifically about talking about like men's mental health. Uh, and I'm interested in like, you know, you said like, hey, it's important to share because it can help other people. But you're like, you know, you're a business owner, you're an artist, you're well known. What would motivate you to, to be in that space? It seems like um, when you started speaking about it more openly, especially online, I was really like, damn, that's a huge thing, man. So why? If I can say something and it can affect somebody else, you know, like even if it affects one person, you know, like I think that's great. You know, if it makes them rethink maybe the way they're thinking about things or, you know, it makes them feel like they're not going through it alone. Like that that's a big deal for me. But for, you know, not to sound selfish, but it's freeing to me as well. It's more about me realizing it as well, too. You know, sometimes when you say something out loud, especially like broadcast something like it's really, you know, it's really true. You can't take that back. So, you know, like it's it's almost better like that. And I grew up watching, you know, both my parents go through some pretty crazy depressions and not understanding any of it. You know, that being said, too, like that got passed on to me, you know, like I think probably chemically and definitely like, um, behavior wise, you know, like I've spent probably the last five or six years really rethinking why I do the things I do. Like I'm not anywhere close to having it anywhere figured out. But at the same time, I'm way further along now than I was then. And if I could help share, you know, what I'm going through, and it helps somebody start on that path, I would love that for them. Yeah, man. And it's really been very inspirational for me as your friend, and also like a business owner, uh, to see you be vulnerable like that. I mean, it's made a big difference. And I think we can never underestimate the power of being vulnerable in an appropriate way for people. And I feel you totally hit that line with the things that you share. So let's talk about a couple business things. I'm real interested in your take. And, you know, I, I want to be a bit sensitive how I talk about this. You know, you're in an industry that's really heavily impacted by the shutdowns due to uh, COVID. How have you been managing that? Well, that's interesting because we just, you know, as of this Sunday coming up, like, you know, like I know this will air later, but we are rolling into another shutdown where personal services are shut down again. And that'll be the third time for the shop, right? This will be the third time. Correct. You know, I explained it to somebody already just a little while ago. Basically, within a year, I haven't worked for six months. You know, so there's a lot of small businesses like that. It's coming up. It's going to be around close to six months that I had no revenue. The government in Canada, because, you know, like they've been doing what they can and, you know, have kicked in certain things and there's certain things that people can get, which is amazing. But at the same time, it's almost mentally harder to deal with the fact that your, I guess, way of making a living has been taken away. So for me, like I, you know, like I've always been, I guess, you know, especially the last few years, um, I've been way more into exercise. So I've been throwing myself into exercise even more just to help me with some of a daily routine. You know, I need that kind of stress. I need some kind of stress to just make it through the day. I'm not going to touch on whether I think, you know, this is fair or the right thing to do or any of the rest of the stuff that people seem to get really worked up on because, you know, like it seems like everybody's upset from vaccinations to shutdowns to, you know, we should open up to don't want to wear a mask. Do you want to wear a mask? All that, it doesn't matter. Things are just the way they are right now. Honestly, I would just like it if everybody could stay safe. So I'm real interested in your advice for people 
like small business owners or people who want to start a business. So, and let's start with people who want to start a business. Like, you know, we get people from like all walks of life who listen to the podcast. Some are people who are late career, mid career, starting career. So for anyone who wants to make their passion, their business, and they want to start a business, what advice do you have for them? Well, that could be a tough one. I would say, you know, don't be so afraid to fail, you know, which, you know, obviously earlier, you know, I said like failure wasn't an option for me, but at the same time, like looking at it now, there's a lot of ways you can fail with a business and then start up again, you know, and just use that knowledge of failing. You know, there's so many other things that I've failed in life and done wrong in life that, you know, the next time I do it, it's incredible. So I would say, don't be fearful of failing. But at the same time, don't give yourself an easy out either, you know, which uh, I'm afraid too many people do now. It's too easy just to be like, oh, well, you know, it's not working out easy. I don't want to do this. No, there's going to be hard times, you know, and be prepared for those hard times. And like, that's the thing, like really ask yourself if you're going to start your business and you want it to be one of your passions, A, do you really want to go through all that pain? B, do you want to be poor for a while? And C, do you want to possibly ruin your passion? Because anything that you love doing, as soon as you start doing it for a job, you really start to question whether you really love that thing anymore. And lots of times it gets ruined for you. So that would be the advice that I have. Great advice. Uh, My friend Chris Wren, uh, who runs Bridge Nine Records, he once said to me, before making your passion your living, you've got to decide whether or not you're willing to compromise your values. Because as soon as you, as soon as something becomes your living, you're going to have to make decisions to make money. And when you have to make decisions to make money, you're going to inevitably compromise your values. That's amazing. I've learned from that situation once or twice. And they haven't been big things, but there's been a couple times where I have done things because I needed the money. And honestly, you regret them. No matter how it turns out, you know, that little bit of money later on, it's not going to be worth the pain that you're going to suffer, whether it's, you know, the client coming back, just being a pain in the butt, you bent and you kind of caved for them, or whether it's um, just your own like mental torture that you're going to give yourself, you know, like trying to go to sleep at night, you'd be like, Oh, I can't believe I just, you know, like I let myself do that. Or, you know, I compromised this, you know, like I thought I was this kind of person. So yeah, it's, it's just not worth it. All right. So for current business owners, for people who own small businesses, big businesses, anything, Um, Like I said earlier, you've been consistent. Eternal Image has been consistent. And I think there's a real like there's a real lesson uh, that can be learned from watching a business like Eternal Image where it's like grown appropriately. It's been a lot of care, a lot of attention to it. But you've never tried to be like, I'm going to have multiple locations. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. So any advice for business owners of any size around consistency about about how to stay consistent or the power of staying consistent? That's a tougher question because, you know, depending on what kind of business it is, you know, some people need their business to grow a lot. Me personally, I don't need my business to become a giant business. I benefited from being able to see a few people that I know have a lot of employees. I made a choice that I never really wanted to babysit people or I don't want to babysit that many people. You know, if you're looking at growing your business and becoming bigger and opening up new locations or opening up you know, just opening up a bigger, you know, like if you manufacture something, you know, say you have 20 people working for you and you're like, well, I can take this to a hundred. If you're going to do that, you're going to have to be willing to give some of your power and control over your business to somebody else to sort that out for you as well. 
because you don't want to babysit, you know, that hundred people. You know, I don't like having to babysit more than two people, you know, like I'm, I'm a kid myself. I babysit myself. You know, I think we all have to be honest with ourselves about that. All right. As we're closing off, uh, I got three questions for you. But before I hit that, any any comments for you, any comments on leadership, owning a business, being a person, being vulnerable, tattoo culture, anything you want to share? Um, I could say just, you know, whenever you're doing things, just try to be as true as you can to yourself. You know, really think about who you are and think about how you would look at yourself, you know, as a person, instead of having, you know, be like, oh, how are other people going to see me? You know, say you had a copy of yourself walking down the street and that person saw you and they believe the same things that you do. How would they see you when you make that decision? I love that. Second question for you is, uh, let's say, you know, years from now, kind of you're wrapping up your career. What would success be for you? If you were to say like, I've been successful in my career, what would that look like for you? Um, honestly, I've never really thought about that. And I don't think I want to think about that until the, maybe until the end, you know, maybe until it's, till it's all over. And, you know, I could be like, oh, I either, you know, shit the bed on that or, you know, like <laughs> whatever it is. All right. Uh, last, last question. All right. So for those who don't know, but you won't be surprised if you're a fan of the show, uh, I usually interview, well, often a lot of people I interview are from the punk and hardcore scene. They're often vegan. They're often straight edge, uh, but they're always business people in some way, shape or other. And of course, Scott is uh, my brother in terms of being, well, just my brother in general, but also vegan and straight edge. So top three vegan places to eat in Calgary or meals, your call. Um, I could shout out places, uh, vegan places to eat, I think. Um, I, I eat weird, you know what I mean? Like I have such like a limiting kind of, you know, way of eating, you know, like I don't eat, uh, don't eat any refined, usually no refined sugar every once in a while, but like no oil, you know, nothing like that. So like, it's harder to eat, but, um, right now copper branch, you know, like I'm glad there's still one left in Calgary. Just great. You know, mo pretty much everything on the menu is good. Hearts choices is great here. Where else? Another really good one. Oh, that's really tough. How about uh, Baked Brand Donuts? Oh, okay. 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 Yeah. Okay. Right on. Awesome, man. Well, listen, thank you so much for being on the show. Uh, any last thoughts before we close off? No, I try not to think too much. You know what? I can, I can get behind that, man. All right, Scott. Thanks so much for being on the show. Everyone else, I'll see you in the outro. Spencer, drop the beat. And I got to thank Scott for joining us today. Uh, that was a great conversation. And it's just cool to see someone that I respect so much reach this place where they can be so open. I wasn't just blowing smoke when I was talking about the consistency of that shop. And anyone can do something well for a short period of time. But to be able to be a great artist, a great business person, and a great boss, and be able to do that for long periods of time, 20 years. That's huge. So Scott, you've got my eternal respect and uh, I take a lot of inspiration from you. The thing I got to tell people is when you have a story like that, I just want to remind you like the power isn't only in these like big companies and like chasing the paycheck and, you know, like trying to attach yourself to these big brands. There's something to be said about finding your place, building a great shop, whatever it is that you do, 
and then just being really good at what you do and staying true to yourself. And Scott and Eternal Image are a fantastic example of that. So whatever journey you're on, I'd say the first thing is make sure you love what you're doing. And the second is stay true to yourself. With that, we're going to sign off. And I want to remind everyone that we're produced and edited by Spencer Priest, recorded by Patrick McKechnie, and our design is done by Tammy Levy. I'm your host, Aram Arslanian, and this is One Step Beyond. What?